Uh, it's a blessing to stand before you all uh, today, always humbled and reminded of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.8, uh, when he describes himself as the least of the saints, and yet by God's grace, he has the privilege to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and I ascend those steps today uh, with that same sentiment. But it is a joy. Uh, Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8, 18 through 30. Romans 8, 18 through 30. The title of this sermon will be Groaning for Glory. Groaning for Glory. Romans 8, 18 through 30. God's word reads, For I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, a, for, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So reads the word of the living God. It's all too easy to be drained and to groan in this world uh, because life in a fallen world is not easy, particularly for Christians, since we no longer look to this world as home. Uh, Nevertheless, it's where we are now. It's almost 2022, and yet many of us feel like we're still recovering from 2020. Groaning through a pandemic, uh, political tension, cultural issues, but always as Christians amidst our sanctification because of remaining sin, in us, through us, that may even lead to sin towards other people, 
and sin just being all around us, because of sin, suffering abounds. And if you don't know what the word groan means in terms of definition, I'm sure you know it experientially. It's a sigh of grief, expressions of deep sorrow at the circumstances we find ourselves in, expressions of anguish due to physical, emotional, relational, or spiritual pain. And if we're honest with ourselves, I'm sure every single one of us in here has been there. Groans are expressions of present pain coupled with future longings. But but for Christians, groans are expressions of grief mingled with hope. Jesus has saved us and sent his spirit to dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit leads us to kill sin and cry out to God as Abba Father and assures us that we are heirs with Christ. That's what Romans 8, 12 through 17 has told us. But no servant is greater than his master. And like Jesus, our cross is before the crown and our groanings testify to the fact that we must suffer with and for Christ if we are to reign with him forever. So it's the real prospect of suffering and the slow process of sanctification that makes us groan for glorification. And to simply put it, each of these can be thoroughly talked about. Salvation is God graciously, through Christ, freeing us from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, the lifelong process through which God frees us from the power of sin. And glorification is the moment where God frees us from the very presence of sin of sin, when we see the face of Christ and are made like him. Glorification is the future longing of our present groaning. My brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today that there's hope in the size of your groaning. And this text presents hope amidst our groanings. Now, the central truth in this text is this. Believers must groan for glory with hope, knowing creation groans with us and the spirit groans for us. Believers must groan for glory with hope, knowing creation groans with us and the spirit groans for us. In other words, Romans eight eighteen through 27 teaches creation groans with us and the spirit groans for us so that we groan for glory with hope. And with that in mind, we come to our first point in verses 18 through 22, the groanings of creation, the groanings of creation. Look with me to verse 18. God's word reads, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 18 gives perspective for this whole passage. It's the Apostle Paul's thesis for this whole section. Clearly, Paul here is looking forward to glorification. In verse 17, he says, we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. In Romans 3.23, Paul says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in Romans 5.2, he says, Christians now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that here in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, for I consider, inspired by the Holy Spirit and and in exemplary fashion, Paul has reasoned and thought critically and rightly concluded 
The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul isn't downplaying nor disregarding our sufferings in, our, in this earthly life. That wouldn't be healthy or biblical. But whether your sufferings or persecution, slandered, being martyred for Christ, heartbreak, loneliness, the hardships of relationships, divorce, whether it be in your family or your own, chronic pain, death, disease, a shocking and tough diagnosis, just suffering in your own mind, uh, relational strife, financial struggles, loved ones who aren't saved, just the slowness of your sanctification, remaining sin and messing up again and having to come back to God in confession for the same thing. Wherever you are, the Bible says and speaks to us, your present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is most certainly to be revealed to you, child of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, the apostle Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I do want to say this as well. At USC, GOC, we are going through the book of Philippians and in Philippians 2.27, which is a book that's all about joy. Paul talks about sorrow upon sorrow. And I want you to know that within a fallen world, hope and lament can exist within the same heart. Joy and sorrow can be a reality for you in the same moment. Peace and mourning can happen in the same mind. Assurance of ultimate triumph through Jesus, but the pain of momentary tribulation can go on in the same soul. We see Jesus weeping in John eleven thirty five, 35, knowing he was about to raise Lazarus. It is appropriate at certain times in, in, in life, Christian, to be trustingly tearful. But our, the text remains, our present sufferings and future glory are not in the same category, not in the same class. They can't be compared. They can only be contrasted. It's like my basketball skills in LeBron James. There's only contrast there. There's no comparison. Samuel Rutherford, my best friend from church history, said, one year's time of heaven shall swallow up all sorrows, even beyond all comparison. Your every tear will be wiped. Death will be no more. Mourning, crying, and pain, all things will be made new when we come to the beatific vision. The most blessed sight when our faith becomes sight and we see Christ face to face. Relative to eternity, Uh, One pastor said, the suffering short, our glory is forever. Our suffering is in mortal and decaying bodies, but our glory is in perfected and perishable bodies. So be encouraged, my brother and sister, that even even in the darkest of suffering, with Jesus, the best remains and the best is yet to be. Glory awaits us. This has to be our Christian perspective. This has to be our hope amidst the groans. 
But support for this statement in verse 18 surrounds us in creation itself. Verses 19 through 22 tell us. Look with me to verse 19. The text says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We see here the groanings of creation. Paul's saying in verse 19 that everything in the physical universe, subhuman, animals, plants, ocean, mountains, stars, the moon, the sun, he's personifying creation here as waiting with eager longing for our glorification. Uh, The waits with eager longing pictures and personifies creation standing on its tippy toes with an outstretched neck to see the beautiful sight of us, children of God, fully becoming who we are. The text says that creation has eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That word revealing means a disclosing, an uncovering, an unveiling. The plant that you water, the flower that you admire, the birds that you hear singing, the stars that you gaze upon at night are eagerly waiting for us to be unveiled in glory, Christian. The creation eagerly waits for, Dan, waits for what Daniel 12, 3 says, that in glory the saints will shine like the brightness of the sky. Or Matthew thirteen forty three, where our Lord says that the sons and daughters of the kingdom will shine like the sun in God's kingdom. And then look to verse 20. The apostle Paul goes on and says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 20 is telling us that God subjected creation to futility when he cursed the ground in response to Adam's sin. In Genesis 3, the fall of man. That's what Paul's getting at when he says subjected to futility. Genesis 3, 17 through 18, it says, And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Creation is unable to fulfill its original purpose and goal of supremely and perfectly glorifying God. We work with thorns and thistles. Vanity dominates the world east of Eden, Ecclesiastes 1-2 tells us. But verse 20 ends with the words, in hope. There's hope for creation. Because in that same exchange, in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3-15, God promised the Savior, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of Satan and redeem humanity, and that's why in Colossians 1.20, it speaks of Christ's cosmic reconciliation of all things. Not just of us, but there's a cosmic universal reconciliation happening uh, with, with, with creation being made new when it's all said and done through the work of Christ. And in verse 21, the hope of creation is spelled out further. 
Verse 21 tells us creation is in bondage to corruption. That's why the natural world is dominated by decay, disease, viruses, natural disasters, air pollution, tornadoes, hurricanes, droughts, avalanches, fires, earthquakes, and death. It's a cursed world that's in bondage to corruption. And the beauty that remains and that we enjoy screams to us that it was meant to be better and that glory still awaits. But when the glory comes, creation is itself set free from the curse and bondage to corruption. When we, God's image bearers and children, are finally free in our glorification, creation isn't made new until God's children are glorified. And because of all this, we read in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All the going green, mo- going green movements in our time and culture are necessary to some extent, reflect good stewardship, I suppose, but it's not the ultimate answer. Verse 22 tells us the groanings of creation up until this very moment. All of the decaying disasters and death are groans, sighs of grief and future longing for glory, for us to be glorified. Paul compares creation's groanings to the pains of childbirth here in this text. There's any moms in this room, uh, they get it a whole lot more than I would in an experiential sense. But Paul is metaphorically intentional here. Pain in childbirth was also one of the curses of Genesis 3. And also, the pain of childbirth, one can just know, I don't know it experientially, it's deep and real, but it's not final and permanent, generally speaking. And and it brings about a surpassing joy in the birth of the child. The text says birth pains, not death pains. The present curse of creation tells us there's a coming glory for creation which will be made new and us. There's a surpassing joy that's coming. So this truth calls us to thoroughly consider. May you guys thoroughly consider the hope you have even while suffering. Even amidst all the groanings, even in this, all the, your sufferings of this present time, we still have hope. And hear me here, I told uh, the USC study this on Thursday, it's okay to trust God with tears in your eyes as you suffer. It doesn't necessarily mean that you lack faith, but that you're human, living and loving in a fallen world. The fixed joy we have in Christ doesn't extinguish sorrow within a fallen world. But this joy helps us to endure sorrow triumphantly with hope until Jesus extinguishes all sorrows in the new world where he'll wipe away every tear. But you guys must and we must have a hopeful perspective amidst and beyond our sufferings, contemplating and meditating on the glory that's ahead, seeing Christ face to face and becoming like him with a glorified body, no more sin or suffering, every tear being wiped away. This is our hope and there's really not a comparison. 
And may you also see, let this text inform your worldview. See the cursed state of creation as groans for your glorification so that it'll also be made free. Everything that goes on in the world, all the suffering, the viruses, all this stuff, it's evidence of a biblical worldview that creation groans to be made new. Creation declares the glory of God, Psalm 19 tells us, and groans for the glorification of the children of God, this text tells us. So remembering that believers must groan for glory with hope, knowing creation groans with us and the Spirit groans for us, we've seen the groanings of creation. Now will come in verses 23 to 25, the groanings of God's children. The groanings of God's children. Verse 23 reads, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The text says, we ourselves, creation is not alone in its groans. We groan too, or at least we should. I think it bears the question, do you groan in your life? Do you groan over your remaining sinfulness? Do you groan to be glorified and to be with Jesus? Do you groan in suffering for your eternal home or just to return to comfort here? Paul is, in, Paul is emphatic in this text that believers groan for glory. But if you don't, you may need to examine whether you're too comfortable away from your real home. We groan as those who have the first fruits of the Spirit, verse 23 tells us. And Paul says first fruits because within nature, it's the first few pieces of fruit that provide hope, that provide hope that a great harvest is coming. First fruits implies that there's more to come. Uh, That's the Holy Spirit within us as the seal and guarantee of our salvation, It's the fruits of the Spirit that he works in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, and verse 23 says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The text says that we groan inwardly as Christians. We groan inwardly. We, our life is filled with sighs, grieving, frustration even. And we groan inwardly in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. And I would say this groaning looks like Romans seven twenty four. The Apostle Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Or 2 Corinthians 5, 2. Paul says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Our bodies are wretched in remaining sinfulness and just prone to fall apart. The Apostle Paul says our bodies are like tents, fragile and temporary, contrasted with a building, which would be our glorified bodies. And he says that we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And we should be eagerly anticipating the consummation of our adoption. 
We've already been adopted in Christ. If you trust in the Lord, you are adopted, a son and daughter of God. But the completion of our adoption is when we're glorified with new bodies like the resurrected Christ. This is the redemption of our bodies, which Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 53, for this perishable body, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. This glorified body will be immortal, eternal, not Casper the friendly ghost, like just spirits going around, but we'll have real glorified physical bodies with glorified hearts, minds and emotions, no more temptations or anxieties or mental health issues or misplaced or troubled emotions. This is glorious. This is our hope. And it's not just a wish or a possibility, but our hope and confident expectation. And the spirit within us is only the beginning. And it's the guarantee, and and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of God finishing his holistic redemption that we have in Christ, both body and soul. But in this in-between stage, we groan for glory with hope. Verses 24 and 24. Five read, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is teaching us that when you were saved by grace through faith in Christ with the hope of eternal life, that hope encompasses also eternal glory and being changed forever, both body and soul. And then Paul says, now hope that is seen is not hope. What he's saying there is we don't look in the mirror or at one another and see shining glorified bodies. We don't possess them yet, but it's our confident expectation. It's our hope that God will finish the good work he started in us, including the glorified body. It's not a present reality yet, and that's why we groan with hope. This life wasn't meant to bring us to the experience of glorification But as we grow in sanctification, we have the hope of it. In verse 25, again, Paul says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Commentator John Stott explained this verse well when he says, we are confident in God's promises that the first fruits will be followed by the harvest, bondage by freedom, decay by incorruption, and labor pains by the birth of the new world. We put it like this, your groans and sufferings have an expiration date. Your hope in Christ will be realized. And the latter half of verse 25 says, we wait for it with patience. So my brother and sister, you should be eager, but not impatient with God. Patient before God, but not apathetic in your sanctification. Trusting God that he knows what he's doing, that he'll finish the good work he started in us. And giving thanks in all circumstances, as 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, and knowing that the best is yet to come. So by way of application, this text calls you to not be completely overtaken, or complacent with sin and suffering in your life. 
in the world as well. It calls us to groan for glory. But we can ask the question, what does that really look like? And I think one way for sure is praying and hoping for the return of Christ, longing to see Jesus face to face when all will be made right. How often do you think about Jesus coming back? How long do you pray for with joy in your heart for the return of the Lord? Revelation twenty two twenty. the Bible ends with, amen, come Lord Jesus. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 shows us how to groan for glory with hope. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that our true home is there. Our citizenship is there with our savior. In verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Or or Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So do what? Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Or 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we are God's children now. So knowing your identity in Christ. And then John goes on to say, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Long for your faith becoming sight, seeing Christ face to face. Think much of the glorification of the saints. It grounds our hope. I also want to encourage you guys, along with praying and hoping for the return of Christ, worship while you wait. Worship while you wait. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Remember this, God is good even amidst your groans. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, speaking to God, you are good and do good. God is good even amidst your groans, sufferings, and whatever It is and what providentially comes into your life. Our Savior, Jesus, is lovely even through the suffering. The gospel and all the glorious riches we've received from God in it and God's goodness has brought us so much already. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to rejoice in, so many reasons to worship even amidst the groans. And also, we must do this together. Notice that in this whole passage, the Apostle Paul keeps repeating, we. Groaning for glory is always done in the context of the local church with brothers and sisters in Christ who are encouraging you to to press on, to fight sin. We groan, we suffer, we pray, we worship, we wait, we minister faithfully together. Groaning for glory is not something that is done in isolation. So remembering that we are to groan for glory with hope, knowing creation groans with us and the spirit groans for us, we've seen the groanings of creation and the groanings of God's children. Now we come to the groanings of the Holy Spirit in verses 26 and 27. Verse 26 reads, Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I love the word likewise in verse 26. As Christian hope sustains us, 
so does the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I love that the Apostle Paul said us there, including him as he was following the Lord. It's an amazingly comforting verse. God, the Holy Spirit, the seal of our salvation, he who, he who dwells within us, helps us in our weaknesses. He's not perpetually disappointed with you, Christian, or disgusted or deeming you a failure or hating you for your weaknesses, but helps. I don't know how many of you have been in the weight room much, but if you're in the weight room and struggling with a weight, a good partner helps you get it up. They don't just laugh at you or act disappointed because of your weaknesses. And the Holy Spirit strengthens us, not sets us aside. He's a lifeguard, not just an umpire, a tutor, not just a strict grader. The Holy Spirit constantly, continually, and always helps us in our weaknesses. And then in Continuing in verse 26, Paul zeroes in on a specific weakness, being our prayer lives. He says, our frailty, our finite minds, our heavy hearts and tearful eyes when we suffer, our imperfect perspectives, our spiritual limitations lead us to not pray as we should and definitely not in proportion to the depth of our neediness. And even when we do pray, we don't always have an an adequate understanding of God's will. But God, the Holy Spirit, petitions, prays, and intercedes for us, for you, dear Christian, to God the Father. And the text says, with groanings too deep for words. These are divine articulations within the triune Godhead for us. The Holy Spirit so deeply prayers for you, the text says that they're groanings. And this verse says, human language can't adequately express his petitions on your behalf. And the intercession of the Holy Spirit parallels the intercession of Jesus for us, as Romans 8.34 speaks of. Christ is interceding for us, as Hebrews also tells us, and nothing can separate us from his love. As a believer, you have a double portion of intercession within the Trinity. Be encouraged, Christian, that whatever you're going through today, you are not unprayed for by the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself. That's ultimate security and assurance. And verse 27 says, he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God the father is he who searches hearts and he knows our, go- our, our, our groans. And he also knows the mind of the spirit. They're in full agreement as they have one divine nature and will. And the Spirit articulates God's will perfectly in his intercession, which is good news because we don't always get it right in our prayers. There's got to be so many prayers in your life already, Christian, that you look back and you say, God, thank you for not answering that one. <laughs> but, that, but this is the context and what brings us to Romans eight twenty eight. In the groanings, in the sufferings, the groanings of creation with us, the groanings of the Holy Spirit for us, and as we groan, God is working all things together for good for those who love him. As he's called us according to his purpose, his purpose being conforming us to the image of Christ, verse 29. He foreknew us and predestined us for that purpose, and we groan for what? For glory. But what does verse 30 tell us? 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's such a certainty that Paul speaks of it in the past tense. We groan for glory, but we have the guarantee of glory because of the goodness of our God and his eternal, sovereign, gracious plan of salvation for sinners like us. So my brothers and sisters, recognize your weakness before God so that you'll depend upon him. Paul Washer said, your problem isn't that you were weak, it's that you don't recognize how weak you are. Recognize your weakness that you may only depend upon God, his spirit, and his word. And he's willing to receive you, weak Christian. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus said to Paul with his thorn in the flesh that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. And I just hope you guys can remember and rejoice that, your prayer, that you were prayed for, not only by brothers and sisters in Christ, but by the Holy Spirit with groanings too deep for words and the intercession of Jesus. Be encouraged in your groaning for glory that the Spirit groans for you. If you're here today and do not know Christ, you're just struggling through a sinful world apart from God with no hope. But hear the hope of Christ today. Hear the hope of Christ that he came to save sinners, living the perfect life, dying uh, the death that was needed as our substitute, taking the full penalty of our sin, rising on the third day so that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Come to Christ. There's good news. There's hope in him and him alone. So as believers, we must groan for glory with hope, knowing creation groans with us and the spirit groans for us. And over the course of church history, we've received songs that articulate the inward groans for glory that we all have. We sang some of them this morning already. It's what's going on in Come Thou Fount when it says, Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, the beatific vision, our faith become in sight, seeing Christ. Full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransomed soul away. Send thy angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. And Jesus, I, my cross, have taken, encourages us as we groan for glory. It says, haste thee on from grace to glory, armed by faith and winged by prayer. God's eternal days before thee, God's own hand shall guide thee there. Soon shall close thy earthly mission. Soon shall shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition, faith to sight and prayer to praise. So press on in your groaning for glory, my brothers and sisters. And remember that because of the goodness of Jesus, our glory is guaranteed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for your son. We thank you for the spirit Uh, We thank you that amidst the groaning, sufferings, and hardships, there is hope that reaches and brings us into eternity. Amen.